I was kind of excited to do Mother Teresa because I had heard that there's a little bit of scandal about her legacy. She did some things that are pretty, pretty incredible. So she, at the height of the siege of Beirut, Teresa herself rescues 37 children by brokering a temporary ceasefire between the Israeli army and Palestinian guerrillas. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's incredible. So she's done these things that are kind of, it's hard to say like, oh, you're a piece of shit. Then when she is 12 years old, her church does a pilgrimage to the Church of the Black Madonna. And it's on this pilgrimage that uh, Agnes feels that she is being called to be a nun. Wow, that's intense. 12 years old. Yeah, I can't imagine my 12-year-old being like, I want to be a nun. Uh, but by 1996, uh, she's very sick. And she's dying. And uh, there's a priest even performs an exorcism on her. The exorcism does not work. Okay, you guys, <laughs> I want our readers to know that we just recorded half of this episode. Our readers, I want our listeners to know. If you're reading this podcast. I want our readers to know too. I want them to know too. <laughs> the people who read this as a transcript. <laughs> I want everyone, everyone who's feeling this, who's smelling it, who's reading it, all of it. Um, that we recorded like the first half of this episode and then I realized I wasn't actually recording. So we're starting over again. So... Just want you to know that while you're listening. We can call it a hashtag quarantine challenge. That's all. You know, we're, we're working through the challenges. Exactly. That's all. Exactly. Yes. You know, learning to use one's own home audio equipment, meaning one's laptop. Um, mm -hmm. Here's the curve. Sam, oh. who do you have? Who do you have today? I'm so excited. Oh, my gosh. And you guys don't know who it is, but. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. <laughs> I'm doing Mother Teresa, you guys. <gasps> And oh, it's Mother's Day. Exactly. Mother I was trying to think of famous mothers for Mother's Day. Um, and uh, apparently this, I just thought of Mother Teresa and thought, ooh, that's a good one. It's crazy that I didn't make the connection at all when you said you were doing Mother Teresa in the text, that it's Mother's, like I knew it was Mother's Day and I saw Mother Teresa and I didn't put them together at all, but I like it. Um, but so I, when I... I was kind of excited to do Mother Teresa because I had heard that there's a little bit of scandal about her legacy in terms of, you know, she has now been made a saint, which you guys may or may not know. Um, but, and some people feel that that was not deserved. So uh, I thought it'd be interesting to really learn Whoa. a little bit about her. I'm, I'm not Catholic, so I don't know a ton about her, her life. Um, and uh, so it was really fun to dive in. Did you guys know anything about the, the controversy surrounding her life? I had... Well, no. I went to Catholic school when I was a kid, and so we, like, worshipped Mother Teresa. We talked about her all of the time. She's, like, this hero, idol, icon of everything. And then it wasn't until, like, a couple years ago that I started hearing things, reading articles about, like, I don't know, maybe she was a little bit racist. Like, not intentionally, but, like, she certainly prioritized her help towards, like, white people, maybe. It's more what I heard. Interesting. Oh, very interesting. Interesting. I'd only ever heard that she was this amazing. She's only like a golden god in the circles that I walked around as a kid. <laughs> so I heard of no controversy. So I'm fascinated at what you're going to say, Sam. I just imagine both of you now as kids being in a Mother Teresa fan club. <laughs> like every month you got like stickers with her face. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Well, anyway, oh. um, so let's dive in then. So I want to talk about her life first, and we'll talk a little bit about her controversy. So Mother Teresa was actually born Agnes uh, Ganja 
Bulyaju. That's the second time I've had to say that <laughs> name and screwed it up. Um, Rolled uh, off the on tongue August that 26th, time. <laughs> it did it. Good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, was born on, the second time. It <laughs> was born on August 26, 1910 in Skopje, um, which is the current capital of the Republic of Macedonia. But uh, when she was born, I believe it was uh, Albania. So she is uh, Albanian. And um, she was born into a, a very religious family. They're Catholic. Um, and her father died when she was eight, and uh, that had a big impact on her life. Her mother had to sort of uh, step up and take care of her and her siblings, and uh, so uh, the church became a very, very uh, big, important part of their day-to-day life. It was a big support system. Um, and something kind of interesting, her father was in local politics, and they think that he was poisoned. Uh, they don't know for sure. Why so do they think his, that? Whoa. Uh, because he was sort of a controversial political figure, and I think there were people who didn't really want him around. So I think by the way that he died, they suspected that maybe it was poison. Hmm. Wow. Um, Drama. Yeah. So, um, like I said, the Catholic Church was a, a huge part of their life, and her mother was very religious. And uh, Growing up, they would go to have dinner, and uh, there would be sometimes strangers at the table. And uh, Agnes would see these people, and it wasn't family. Maybe she asked her mom, like, "Why are why are these people here at dinner?" And her mother would say, "Well, they're not our you know our blood family, but all people they're all your family, and so we all have to take care of each other." And this had a, made a really big impact on her life. Um, and so Aww. they all spent a lot of time at church. Um, so this is nineteen ten. So it's a huge part of the community. It's a huge part of their support system. There's like entertainment there. She sings in the choir. Apparently, she had a very good voice, which is something I'd never heard about Mother Teresa. Um, and then when she is 12 years old, her church, uh, their congregation does a pilgrimage to the Church of the Black Madonna. And it's on this pilgrimage that uh, Agnes feels that she is being called to be a nun, which is pretty young, if you think about it. Um, a 12-year-old being like, oh, this is what I have to do. Wow, that's intense. 12 years old. Yeah, I can't imagine my 12-year-old being I... like, I want to be a nun. <laughs> I can't, I'm trying to remember myself when I was 12 years old. I feel like I was like still playing in my backyard, like in the sandbox. I was drawing comic <laughs> books at recess. So. <laughs> There's also that oh. thing that we're like, I think like I was a very dramatic kid, so I could have seen myself saying it for drama. Like, how will my parents <laughs> react if I tell them I'm going to be a nun? But then I would have like forgotten about it the next uh-huh. week. <laughs> <laughs> I can see, I can see twelve-year-old Sam. I want to be a nun. Just kidding. I wanted to see what your, your reaction was. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, so um, Agnes does not forget about it. Um, and six years later, when she's eighteen, um, this is 1928. She is leaves to go to Ireland to join the Sisters of Laredo in Dublin, Ireland. Dublin. Um, And so she's not there very long uh, because the convent in Ireland sends her to India to Darjeeling, which is in the lower Himalayas. And um, they, that's where she's going to begin her novitiate. So she's a novice and this is where her sort of training happens. Hmm. And um, when she gets there, she has to learn Bengali uh, which she does, and uh, she teaches at the this school, St. Teresa's School, near her convent. And uh, she takes her first religious vows on May 24th, 1931. And um, when you take your religious vows, you have to take a new name. So she's no longer Agnes. But she wants to be named after the French patron saint of missionaries, uh, Teresa de Lisieux. But uh, there's a nun in the convent who had already picked that name. So they're like, sorry, <gasps> Agnes. Exactly. Drama. And so she... She takes the Spanish spelling, Teresa. So that's how we get Mother Teresa. Wow. 
so from 1931 to 1948, she's just there in St. Mary's High School in Calcutta, and she's teaching, and that's when she's, you know, that's what she's doing. But in 1946, she experiences what she later calls the call within the call. And this is because she's taking a train um, from Darjeeling to Calcutta, and she says, uh, this is what she experiences, quote, I was to leave the convent and help the poor while living among them. It was an order. To fail would have been to break the faith. So she feels like she has been told she has to leave the convent, live with and help the poor, and that if she doesn't do this, she's breaking her Catholic faith. So this is kind of a big deal. Wow. And so when she gets back from this train trip, she tells the head mother uh, of the convent, she says, I'm going to leave because I had this call. And this is my religious duty. And when you become a nun, you have to take a vow of obedience. You can't just do what you want. You're, you know, you have to be given permission. And they tell her no. They're like, you're not doing that. You're staying here. Wait, they say no? They're not supposed to go against, they say no to her, even though that's a call from God? Yeah, they say no. They're like, that's not going to happen. And so I think maybe they think she's, I, I don't know why they say no. They Maybe they just Whoa. need, they think they need her help there or they're afraid she's going to not be a nun anymore. But um, it takes her a year and a half to finally get permission to leave. Wow. That's crazy. That's interesting. I kind of want to see if I can find out more about how that works, because that seems like against the way that calls work right. <laughs> <laughs> within the church. It's like you get a call that calls from God, you know. Well, now I'm just picturing the, the other nun being like Maggie Smith and Sister yeah. Act and just being like... <laughs> Well, it's going to be my way. So even though your your call is that, you know, my call is more important. She drives a she drives a tough ship. My reference point is always Blues Brothers. We're on a mission from God. <laughs> That's what it was uh, probably like. Is that disrespectful, Mother um, Teresa? Sorry, sorry, Mother Teresa. Okay, keep going. <laughs> so, uh, so finally, in January 1948, she gets uh, approval to leave. So she realizes she's going to need to get some basic medical training because she can go and help people, but she doesn't really know how to help them. She's just been a teacher. So uh, she does six months of medical training. And then in August of that year, that's when she leaves. Mm. And um, she goes into Calcutta slums with just the idea that she's going to aid the quote, the unwanted, the unloved and the uncared for. But like she has no plan. I mean, she gets medical training, but she just leaves she doesn't have any money, and she just walks into the slums and decides, like, she's going to help people. Um, and she writes in her diary that it's this first year of this is incredibly difficult. She has no income, so she begs for food. She begs for supplies, um, and she experiences a lot, of, a lot of doubt. And in her diary, she says this, quote, Our Lord wants me to be a free nun covered with the poverty of the cross. Today I learned a good lesson. The poverty of the poor must be so hard for them. While looking for a home, I walked and walked till my arms and legs ached. I thought how much they must ache in body and soul, looking for a home, food and health. Then the comfort of Laredo, that's her former congregation, came to tempt me. You only have to say the word and all that will be yours again, the tempter kept on saying. A free choice, my God, and out of love for you, I desire to remain and do whatever be your holy will in my regard. I did not let a single tear come. So she wants, she's Ooh. tempted to go back wow. to the convent where she at least has food and a home. And I mean, yeah. I can't imagine how difficult that is. She just walked into complete poverty. Mm -hmm. And um, she talks about how what she would literally do is just walk down the street. And if she saw somebody who was sick and dying on the ground, she would bring them water. She would, 
you know, tried if they needed a bandage, tried to get a supply for them, just tried to give them food. Just And this is just her by herself. Yeah. And uh, and she also starts an open-air school. So she doesn't have any place to go, but she just, like, picks a, you know, like, a corner somewhere and, like, tries to and tells people, like, I'll teach you. And so people start coming. Um, and this is where she starts getting some help. So in by about 1949, there's, like, a handful of other young women that were at that say that school that she'd been teaching out, they hear that what she's been doing and they decide we want to do what you're doing too and we want to help you. So word kind of spreads over a year that she's doing this stuff in Calcutta. Mm. So they decide they're gonna write to the Vatican and they want to try to get their own congregation. So like their own nunnery kind of, their own, you know, group of women that can do this work and, and in, in that way they'll receive funding from the Vatican to be able to do it, right? Yeah. Um and it's granted. They get permission. And so in 1950, uh, they get permission for it, and it becomes the Missionaries of Charity. And these were her words, what she wanted it to do. It would care for, quote, the hungry, the naked, the homeless, the crippled, the blind, the lepers, all those people who feel unwanted, unloved, uncared for throughout society, people that have become a burden to the society and are shunned by everyone. So it's like, that's pretty, that's laudable. It's a very noble cause. And so uh, in 1952, um, the Calcutta um, local officials, they give her an abandoned Hindu temple that she can, uh, this is their first hospice center. And so people are brought there to receive medical care and um, they can die with dignity according to their faith, which I thought was pretty cool. So it's not like Mm. she's forcing everyone to receive Catholic rites. You know, it's whatever you are, you receive, you you receive that. And it's supposed to just help people sort of uh, end their lives in comfort. Um, she establishes leprosy outreach centers, um, children's home for orphans and homeless youth. And this really starts to get some international attention. So they start to attack, attract recruits and donations. And um, by the 1960s, it's really exploded all throughout India. And then it goes in the 1960s and the 70s, it's all over the world. It's Venezuela and Rome and Austria and uh, Asia, Africa, Europe, everywhere. Wow. And this I thought was pretty cool priests who have heard of her work think she's so cool that they request that there is a sort of, this is terrible, my lack of uh, Catholic knowledge is affecting my uh, my thing. You guys help me out here. So <laughs> that these priests, they even want to have uh, missionaries that are set up for them. So they say, we're priests and we're not, you know, we aren't going to join her you know, her nunnery, we're not going to be a nun, but we want to be a part of the organization. So they end up establishing what's called the Missionaries of Charity Brothers. And so it's related to the Missionaries of Charities that is uh, her nuns and everything, but now they have it for the priests. And so uh, by 1997, the Calcutta congregation had grown to more than 4,000 sisters who managed orphanages, AIDS hospices, and charity centers worldwide. They cared for refugees, blind, disabled, everything, people who are victims of floods, epidemics. Um, And by 2007, the Missionaries of Charity numbered about 450 brothers and 5,000 sisters worldwide, and they had 600 missions, schools, and shelters in 120 countries. Wow. So it really exploded. And she she did some things that are pretty pretty incredible. So she spoke uh, five languages. Oh, and wow. at the height of the Siege of Beirut in 1982, Teresa herself rescues 37 children that are trapped in a frontline hospital by brokering a temporary ceasefire between the Israeli army and Palestinian guerrillas. 
And with oh some help God. from the Red Cross, she travels through the war zone to help evacuate the, oh the kids. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's incredible. So she's done these things that are kind of, it's hard to say like, oh, you're a piece of shit, right? Like those are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's necessarily what people are saying. <laughs> Just... <laughs> are we getting to the part where you talk about what the controversy is so now i'm like why do people say she's a piece of shit like what we're getting there we're getting there i'm gonna say a couple of other okay, good things right. she okay. did because she did so many yeah, front load um, with the greatness <laughs> um so she traveled to assist the hungry in ethiopia um she assisted radiation victims at chernobyl earthquake victims Ooh. in armenia um so like she's she's done some pretty 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 cool things and pretty brave things um yeah those are dangerous activities exactly and so she receives uh, throughout throughout this time as you guys probably know and everyone knows she received incredible accommodations and is highly respected and beloved right um uh, but by 1996 uh she's very sick she's dying and uh there's a priest even performs an exorcism on her the exorcism does not work uh, and she dies on September fifth, nineteen ninety seven. Was she just? What was? What she have? What was? What, ha- what did she die of? Just old age? She'd had multiple heart. She had multiple heart attacks, and oh. um, so this was. It was. It was heart failure, and um, mm. she's mourned the world over by religious and secular communities. I mean, everyone. You know, it's Mother Teresa, right? Wait, yeah. what were they trying to exercise? Her heart attacks? <laughs> like what? Oh my gosh. Anyway, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> um, so something that's kind of interesting about her is that apparently she struggled with uh, religious belief her whole life. And Time Magazine even did a spread on this where, because uh, apparently she had written these letters to her spiritual confidant. Um, and this is the person who's also, uh, he's also her postulator, which is the person who's responsible for gathering materials and petitioning for her sainthood. And so he releases these letters where, I guess for over 50 years, she struggled with believing in God. She said at times she didn't know if there was heaven. She didn't know if there was a God. And uh, she, mm. this is in one of her letters to him. She says, quote, where is my faith? Even deep down, there is nothing but emptiness and darkness. If there be a God, please forgive me. When I try to raise my thoughts to heaven, there is such convicting emptiness that those very thoughts return like sharp knives and hurt my very soul. Wow. So, Whoa. So that's going to cause controversy when those are released. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I do. I think it's common for at least every religious person that I know in my life growing up Catholic Mm -hmm. talked all the time about how questioning your faith is natural. Questioning your faith Mm. is healthy. Uh, If you haven't questioned your faith, how can you even say it's real? That was really that's really what I was taught growing up was like, if you haven't questioned it, then what are you even doing? And yeah. so I do think it's interesting. And also interesting how, I mean, if you're spending your entire life surrounded by the poorest and the people who are suffering the most, it would be very hard to feel like there right. was a God watching over these people. Yeah. 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 So, what's, uh, so what's sort of interesting is, so a lot of these criticisms of her, as, as far as I can tell, and they may have begun sooner, but they really came out when it, when they began the pro- begin the process of canonization. So when they decide that they want to start exploring having her become a saint. So to become a saint, uh, you have to have a, a miracle has to happen. There has to be a documented miracle, right? 
So the, mir the miracle that they're citing is from, they say in 2002, there's this woman named Monica Besra. She's an Indian woman. And they say that she had a tumor in her abdomen, but then someone took a locket that had Mother Teresa's picture in it. And they say a beam of light came out of the picture and her tumor was cured. So like, hey, a miracle, right? Yeah, everyone's like, oh, great, it's a miracle. However, this woman's husband and the medical staff said, some of the medical staff, said that conventional medical treatment eradicated the tumor. Um, and one of the doctors who treated her, he said uh, the cyst was caused by tuberculosis. And he said it was not a miracle. She took medicine for nine months to one year. And her husband said the miracle's a hoax. But what was interesting was that uh, the the woman who this they said this happens to, um, all of her medical records were t confiscated by the sisters of the missionaries of the charity. Oh. Hmm. So, <laughs> that's kind of shady, okay? That's kind of shady. <laughs> yeah. And uh, other officials at this hospital where the woman sought medical treatment said that they were pressured by the order to call the cure miraculous. So first, right. first, this miracle is not looking so good, right? But then Pope Francis is in 2015 says, don't worry, there's another miracle we contribute to Mother Teresa. And this one said that there is a Brazilian man who was diagnosed with a viral brain infection. He lapsed into a coma. And apparently his wife and family and friends, they pray to Mother Teresa. And when the man is taken to the operating room for emergency surgery, he wakes up without pain and he's completely cured. Did she touch him or was she there? No, the, this is just the family says they prayed to Mother Teresa. Okay. Well, that probably did it. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> can I just like, can, I just want to say like, I have to insert this comment. Do you remember our previous, <laughs> do you remember our previous um, Saint Broad, Olga of Kiev? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> she was what, badass. Uh, what miracle did she perform? <laughs> <laughs> The, the miracle of, of burning an entire city to the ground. With exactly. Birds. I mean, it was like bringing Christianity to the the Eastern world or Western world or whatever. But like, I just, sometimes this canonization process, I, I admit, remains a complete mystery to me. Yeah. Well, it oh, seems like the, well, if the church wants you to be a saint, they'll just bully a bunch of, a of doctors to say that you did something miraculous. And there you go. Yeah. I mean, it sounds a lot like the sisters really loved loved Mother Teresa and they're like, we really want her to be a saint and we're mm -hmm. gonna nudge this process along. Yeah. Um so it, it is goes through she's canonized to Saint Teresa of Calcutta on September fourth, two thousand sixteen. Now what is interesting, um, something that I didn't know is that when they go through this process of canonization, they call in witnesses who speak against the person. So they'll it's almost like a juror like a trial and the people will come in and they'll say, This is why they shouldn't be a saint. And um, one of those people was Christopher Hitchens. And he is one of Mother Teresa's most outspoken critics. And you guys might know uh, Christopher Hitchens. Uh, he's the sort of very, very famous atheist um, and literary critic, uh, British guy. And um, so he wrote an essay called The Missionary Position, Mother Teresa in Theory and Practice. What? That's the thing. Like, what? What? The, what's the deal, atheists? Like... I'm on your side, and you're you're coming off so douchey with your the missionary position is so insulting as your title. Oh, he comes off like a total dick. However, this is what he says about her. 
quote, this returns us to the medieval corruption of the church, which sold indulgences to the rich while preaching hellfire and continence to the poor. Mother Teresa was not a friend of the poor. She was a friend of poverty. She said that suffering was a gift from God. She spent her life opposing the only known cure for poverty, which is the empowerment of women and the emancipation of them from a livestock version of compulsory reproduction. And he also uh, goes on to accuse her of being a hypocrite for choosing advanced treatment for her heart condition. And he said that her intention was not to help people and that she frequently lied to donors about how their contributions were being used. And he said, quote, it was by talking to her that I discovered and she assured me that she wasn't working to alleviate poverty. She was working to expand the number of Catholics. She said, I'm not a social worker. I don't do it for this reason. I do it for Christ. I do it for the church. So, and this goes back to a lot of the criticisms against her. So one, I, I actually do agree with what he was saying was that she didn't, that uh, I like what he says about the empowerment of women and the emancipation of them from a livestock version of compulsory reproduction. So she mm -hmm. was very, because she's Catholic, of course, she was firmly anti-abortion. Mm -hmm. um, and she was also uh, anti-divorce, like strongly against it. Even in cases of abuse, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. She's like, it is not, uh, that's not a thing. That doesn't happen. Um, and uh, a lot of people criticized her uh, for the way the money went into all of these, all of the missionaries saying that people, there was medical care that could have been given to these people, but everything was just palliative. So instead of trying to heal people, which they could have done or trying to provide better medical care, it was more like, okay, you're in here now, so you're going to die and the and that the care was not uh, the care could have been more about healing and less about palliative end of life. It sounds like this dude just has a problem with the organization. Like he didn't like the way that they did it, the way that they went about their work. <laughs> this guy sounds like such an asshole. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird to criticize. Like you tried something that didn't work. Exactly. Like rather than like you intentionally did something you knew wouldn't work like that i don't i don't but also and that. also like inherently to say that she like to say that she was trying to further the catholic church like that's what nuns do like that's the <laughs> point <laughs> that is why of they the exist. sisterhoods and the brother like i don't understand why that's a point against her i guess like i guess it's just a point against the church in general it's not yeah. so much a criticism of her so I thought that I, and what's interesting is that I actually didn't read about uh, the racial stuff, but I'd be curious mm. to know more about that because um, there was kind of a lot about this stuff. And the, another thing that, that came out was, so apparently there was a, a Canadian research paper and these, they came out and they said that or the clinics receives millions of dollars in donations, but they lack medical care, systematic diagnosis, necessary nutrition, and sufficient analgesics for those in pain. And they said, quote, Mother Teresa believed the sick must suffer like Christ on the cross. Oh. Well, that's pretty fucked up. Yeah. That's kind of so, fucked up. Not kind of, a lot of fucked up. That's like, um, mm. And so it's interesting because I kind of think, like you said, like the thing that she started became much larger than her. And she obviously did some good and it certainly maybe wasn't perfect and I don't know that she should have been made a saint but I also didn't find anything that was really damning I mean except for things that I just personally disagree with like her stance on she's against contraception she's against abortion I don't agree mm -hmm. with that personally but she's a catholic mm -hmm. nun like right what do you what expect do you, yeah what do you expect so um that's interesting that's that's mother Teresa. she's interesting kind of complicated figure but I thought it takes a whole lot of balls to pick up and 
go decide you're going to be homeless and beg in the streets and then, to, like all to those orders so the orders that were all like created be, as a result of her those are still around right like they're still serving they're still so, like yeah. providing care i wonder I, I wonder if anything has been shifted since her passing i'm i'm curious oh, maybe. about that yeah that would be interesting to know if some of the criticisms had caused them to change uh, the way they fund things or the way they're organized. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because I'm sure it, if she was so adamantly invested in being poor, I feel like she probably wasn't handling the, the donations. Like it was probably other right. people handling that side of it. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I, it's such a weird, like, uh, you know, I, I obviously I don't know the whole story behind all this, but like, I've been a part of a lot of different nonprofits in my life. And like, it, it, like the do- where to put donations is like sometimes a really complicated process. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's sometimes you just have to like, <laughs> you do the best you can to, to respect the wishes of your donors. But ultimately, you have to fund your organization in like in the way it needs to be funded. And I don't know, I, I assume it's a probably a larger issue than... <laughs> I assume he, this dude like found a couple stories of a couple people who are unhappy with how things went. And like, I don't, that guy sounds like a, like some of his criticisms sound legit, but that guy also sounds like a twat. <laughs> I think many would agree with you and him being called a twat. Yeah, I think that's common in the sort of late 20th century, early 21st century atheists. And I'm, and I'm hoping that changes. <laughs> well, you guys, what do you think? Was she abroad? I think so. It's complicated. I think she was abroad. I, I, I mean, she's abroad who doesn't follow. So broads, like, what's our, like, one thing that we identify with broads mm-hmm. is, like, women who play by their own rules and who don't necessarily follow the path that's set in front of them. And she definitely does all the, you know, we have lots yep. of controversial broads. This isn't, mm-hmm. this isn't, doesn't set her off of the broad pathway for us. <laughs> I definitely agree. I feel like she ultimately did more good for the world than Olga of Kiev. Ah! <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, Listen, I love Olga of Kiev, Justin. I'm going to fight you about it. <laughs> She's like my hero, my shiro. Um, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. She, she did, I mean, the work she did was incredible and the amount, like, regardless of whether or not they did it in the best possible way, they did provide so much charitable help to people who need it the most. Yep. So I guess you can't like you can't say that that didn't happen, you know, like that yeah. that's huge. You at least at least made people feel comfort when they were near death, which mm-hmm. is admirable in any circumstance. Agreed. I think she's abroad. Yeah. I think she's abroad. I think so. Me too. Yeah. Awesome. So tell everybody where they can find us. I want to tell you guys that we love it when you listen. And if you want to support the show, the best thing you do is go into iTunes and leave us a glowing review or tell a friend about the show. And you can always reach out to us on Instagram at Broads You Should Know. Or you can email us at Broads You Should Know at gmail.com. And we'll be back next week to tell you all about another broad you should know.